right. Well, hey, welcome to Element Church. I have a question for you today. Um, how many of you have ever been initiated into something? Ever been initiated into something, some of you? So many of you are in the military, uh, and so I'm, I'm sure many of you have been through basic training, which is sort of an initiation into something. And there's lots of other forms of initiation, right? Well, there's something about me that you would probably never guess. Believe it or not, I, I am, or at least I was, a certified scuba diver at one point in my life. I have a picture to prove it. Here's the picture. This is the uh, famous picture. It's not very famous. There it is. That is a real picture. That is high school Andy. I think it's high school, early high school, something like that. My dad was taking the picture, and he was taking forever to take the picture. He motioned me over and take this picture, and I was just wondering, what in the world are you taking so long? And then all of a sudden, the shark comes in between us. And I thought I was going to die. And they're actually harmless, these sharks, apparently. At least that's what they told us they were harmless. They didn't, they didn't strap a stake to our back or anything like that. But um, So my eyes are gigantic, but that's a real shark. My dad was taking the picture. And that brown cloud of water, if you look closely, that's self-explanatory. Well, if... Uh, <laughs> So, so in order to become a certified scuba diver, you have to go through some testing. You have to take a class and that kind of thing. And part of the scuba diving class is this skills test that you have to take. And so I think I was in junior high or something like that. And I've always thought it was kind of funny because I remember asking my dad like in junior high, hey, can we go hunting? I wanted to go hunting. And he didn't want to do, go hunting anymore. So, so we went scuba diving instead. It's the most random thing. But at any rate, uh, we, we did this scuba diving class together. And we did a skills test in Midwest Wyoming of all places. It's a tiny town right outside of Casper. And so there's this pond that's 20 feet deep in Midwest Wyoming. And we took our skills test there. We got under the water. We were under, the fir- under there for 20 minutes or so. And it was so muddy, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. But we had to do these skills underwater. And one of them was you had to flood your mask with water, and then you had to clear the water out of it so that you could see clearly again. You had to do that without freaking out. So they, they knew you could do these skills and you could then do them on your own and you wouldn't freak out and, and go crazy or something like that underwater. So uh, I am a certified scuba diver, or at least I was. So if you see me someday down at Sloan's Lake here in Cheyenne with some scuba gear, you'll know that I'm completely legit, or at least at one point I was legit. I have a junior scuba certification card somewhere in my home to prove it. Well, on that note, welcome to Element Church. My name is Andy Hazlett. I'm an associate pastor here at Element. And today we're kicking off a new two-week series on baptism called Made New. Now, you might be wondering, what in the world does scuba diving have to do with baptism? Well, other than the presence of water, very little. But On the other hand, the scuba skills test is sort of an initiation uh, of, of sorts. Now, baptism is far different, but it is sort of an initiation into the Christian faith. Baptism is part of my commitment to follow Jesus. Like when I commit to follow Jesus, I should be baptized to symbolize that commitment to follow Christ. Now, if you're new here today, and you're not a Christian, I'm so grateful that you're here today. And you've probably heard of baptism. It might sound a little bit creepy and a little bit cult-ish to you. Uh, Well, I I hope that the message today will clarify for you uh, what 
the meaning is behind baptism and why Christians get baptized. Now, baptism is a huge subject, and quite frankly, we cannot completely cover it in just two messages. So my goal today is to share with you a simple look into the basics of what baptism is according to the Bible, and I hope to give you a better idea of why we practice baptism and why we do it the way we do it here at Element Church. So uh, the big question for today is this, what is baptism? What is baptism? Number one is this, baptism is for Christians. Now, Typically, we would look at just one main passage of Scripture, but today we're going to look at three different passages of Scripture. We're going to be flying through these three different passages. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one today. Just stop by guest services. It would be an honor to give you one today. It'll be up on the screen for you. Acts 2, verses 38 through 41, says this. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Baptism is for Christians. Now, in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we read about the giving of the Holy Spirit to the believers in the upper room. It was a major event in the New Testament, one of the most important events in the New Testament. And after that event, Peter, who is one of the apostles, preaches a famous sermon about Jesus and salvation through him. After Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved and are baptized. So at Element Church, uh, we practice something that is commonly referred to as believer's baptism. Essentially, essentially we baptize individuals that have already made a commitment to follow Jesus. They're already following Jesus, and they get baptized. Now, we need to make a distinction here between believer's baptism and infant baptism, okay? We do not practice infant baptism at Element Church for uh, several reasons. Now, Talk about opening a can of worms. Infant baptism is a giant can of worms, and we really don't have the time to, to go in depth about what all the different traditions believe about infant baptism. But what I'll say quickly is that not all infant baptism is, uh, is thought of equally. So depending on the denomination, depending on the church, you have lots of different ideas out there about what happens and, and what they believe about infant baptism. So quickly, let me say, uh, for example, the Catholics, now, now I am simplifying this, but the Catholics practice infant baptism and believe that infant baptism is required for the salvation of that infant. We, we don't believe that here at Element Church. Uh, we believe that an infant, a young child, or someone even without the mental capacity to make a decision for or against Christ are graciously covered through the atonement of Jesus Christ. 
Now, another view of infant baptism that's found in multiple Protestant denominations doesn't view infant baptism as a saving event, but as covenantal. Let me explain. In in these traditions, infant baptism is done in a Christian family, and it is done in anticipation of a future personal profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why many of these traditions that that have this view, many of these traditions will have a confirmation class for older children and teenagers at a later point when they can confirm their personal decision to follow Jesus. So you can see how this is a kind of a complex subject and not all infant baptism is the same. But the baptism that we see in Acts chapter 2 And throughout the New Testament, the explicit and specific example is of Christians who have made a personal decision to repent of their sin, to enter into a relationship with Jesus, and to follow him. Therefore, uh, we practice believer's baptism. Now, it doesn't mean that we are right and everyone else is wrong, but Um, I will say it's the closest to what we see specifically and explicitly practiced in the New Testament. And uh, secondly, it's also a lot less confusing than infant baptism can be, especially if someone has a Catholic background, because there's lots of different ideas about what is actually happening when the infant is baptized. So, Um, Looking back at Acts chapter 2, I want to point out two Ps that I see in Acts chapter 2. One is public, and the second is penitent. Penitent meaning repentance. Peter communicates that those being baptized have repented of their sin. They've given up their old way of life and their old religion in order to follow Jesus. So if you haven't left your old life of sin and rebellion in order to follow Jesus, you shouldn't get baptized, okay? Now, again, I'm barely scraping the surface. We're not even going into at what point, timeline-wise, should you get baptized. I think it should happen after a profession of faith, but should it happen immediately or should it happen years later? And to that, I would answer yes, I think the important thing is that you're, you're all in, okay? You're not just interested in Jesus. You are all in following him, okay? It doesn't mean you need to have everything figured out, um, but you should be giving up old things in, you, in order to follow Christ. So the second P that I see is public. It wasn't done in secret. It was public. Everyone knew that day who was making a commitment, and, and when you get baptized, not only are you declaring your allegiance to Jesus, but in a very real way, you are also becoming a part of the body of Christ, the church. There's, there's uh, so much important uh, symbolism going on in baptism. Now, uh, this is not a perfect illustration, but let's think about marriage for just a minute. How many of you are married in the room? Lots of you are married in the room. Uh, I'm, I'm also married. My wife, Aubrey, and I will uh, celebrate 14 years in about a month from now. So excited about that. That's awesome. Thanks. That's great. She's put up with me for almost 14 years. And uh, so let's think about baptism. So like when you, or let's think about marriage. When you get married, you are saying yes to your spouse, and you are saying no to lots of other things, Right? 
At least you should be. You're saying no to other relationships. You are saying no to certain opportunities. You're saying no to singleness in order to be married to this individual. Now, imagine with me if it is your wedding day and you got married that afternoon, and you're headed down to Denver. You're gonna get on the airplane. You're gonna to go to some tropical place, and it's gonna be awesome. You're gonna have this great honeymoon. It's gonna be a great time. Well, let's imagine you're, you know, you're about to get on the plane for your honeymoon, and, uh, and, and, and your, your new spouse, they tell you, hey, hey, look, I'll, I'll be right back, but I need to, real quick, before we get on that plane for our honeymoon, I need to call my boyfriend, real quick. Just check in. It'll be fine. I'll be right back. That, there's a problem with that, right? There's a big problem with that. Now, now, furthermore, when you get married, you do so in public, don't you? Now, there might be 100 people there. There might be three people there, but there are witnesses. I know that because I sign marriage certificates all the time. We got to find these witnesses, and they witness this commitment that you have made to become married and commit yourself to this person. Now, likewise, if you haven't left your old life of sin and rebellion to follow Jesus, you shouldn't get baptized. There, there's a problem if when you get up in public to get baptized, if the people in the room are doubting whether or not your faith is genuine because nothing has actually changed in your life. Now, in the first couple centuries of Christianity, when it was illegal to be a Christian, the church would often require a new believer to go through rigorous training and testing before they would allow you to get baptized, or in some cases, before they would even allow you to call yourself a Christian. Why? Well, because in their culture, baptism could very well mean your death, but it could also mean persecution to that church that you got baptized in. So they could not afford to have someone faking it that could bring persecution to the whole church if they weren't serious, this person wasn't serious about following Jesus. So in summary, baptism is for Christians. We practice believer's baptism here at Element because it is the clear example in the New Testament of believers being baptized. We believe baptism comes after genuine faith and repentance. So what is baptism? Baptism is for Christians. Secondly, is this. Baptism symbolizes cleansing. Baptism symbolizes cleansing. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, says this. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Yummy. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Now, we're not going to dive too deeply into this passage. Uh, Pastor Jeff's going to be back in this passage again next week as well. 
But this passage is describing the baptism practices of John the Baptist, which were really a preparatory baptism for the coming of the Messiah, who is Jesus. Later in chapter 3 of Matthew, we read about the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And this John was thought to be, he, he is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Now, the roots of John the Baptist's baptism, it's like a tongue twister, the roots of John's baptism are in the Old Testament cleansing rituals that were practiced by the Jewish people and the priesthood as part of their ministry in the temple. Ceremonial cleansing was a regular part of uh, the Jewish faith, and that concept was carried into the practice of New Testament baptism. The Old Testament cleansing was one of ceremonial purity, while New Testament, the, the New Testament cleansing of baptism, it points to something a little bit different. It points to the cleansing of sin that a Christian receives upon saving faith in Jesus Christ. In John the Baptist's day, there was also something called proselyte baptism. It was a regular practice. And what proselyte baptism is, is when a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, converted to Judaism, they were required to get baptized. And it was a, pract it was a practice that symbolized cleansing from sin and repentance. So, this concept of cleansing was carried into the New Testament practice of baptism. Notice, I did not say that baptism is cleansing, but that baptism symbolizes cleansing. According to the Bible, the only thing that cleanses our sin is the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1, 7 says this, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Baptism does not cleanse us from sin, but it does symbolize the cleansing that we've experienced because we've trusted in Jesus for our salvation. Now, I know that's a lot of information, so let me lighten the mood just a little bit. Um, I've learned that there are two kinds of people in the world. Uh, on one hand, we have people that load the dishwasher with order and a system and with consistency. They're filled with the Spirit of God. Praise the Lord. And then, and then on the other hand, we have people that, that load the dishwasher with no rhyme or reason. Don't, like sometimes don't even wash them things off. Just throw them in there. Just get them in there. Doesn't matter how they're stacked. Doesn't matter if everything's like crossed over each other. Just get them in there, press the button, and let's hope that most of those dishes get washed. So be honest, because we're in church. How many of you load the dishwasher with no rhyme or reason? Just throw them things in there. Yes, that's awesome. Thanks for being honest. How many of you have order? Order, yes, a system. And if your spouse or someone in your family doesn't do it the way you do it, you get all angry inside. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, so, okay, I brought, a, I brought a magnet with me. Now, this magnet goes on our dishwasher at home. I got this as a gift. Now, one side says dirty, and so you put that side up on the dishwasher to help remind you that the dishes are dirty. The other side says clean. 
and you put it on the dishwasher on that side if the dishes are clean uh, to help remind me. Because I'll tell you what, if you are someone that stacks the dishes with order and you rinse all of them off like I do, that's the one downfall because you can't tell very easily whether they're clean or not. So we need something like this. So maybe it's not a great idea. I don't know. But in either case, I know this is a silly question, but does this magnet clean the dishes? No, of course it doesn't. You could try. It would look pretty silly. It wouldn't work very well, would it? This magnet doesn't clean the dishes, but what it does do is it declares that the dishes have been cleaned, right? Now, I feel borderline sacrilegious for comparing the sacred Christian practice of baptism to a magnet, but my point is that baptism points to the cleansing of the blood of Jesus in my life. It symbolizes the cleansing that I've already experienced through Jesus. So what is baptism? Well, baptism is for Christians. Secondly, baptism symbolizes cleansing. And then number, number three, the last thing is this. Baptism symbolizes a covenant. Colossians 2 Verses 9 through 12 says this. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you are circumcised, not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Baptism symbolizes a covenant. I want to share with you a uh, quote from R.C. Sproul great theologian, he wrote a really interesting little booklet about baptism, and he said this. When God enters into covenants with his people, making promises of redemption to them, his pattern is to attest to the authenticity of the covenant by giving some kind of external sign. For instance, when he promised Noah that he would never destroy the world again through a flood, God set the bow in the sky, his bow in the sky. That bow was a visible sign that confirmed the promise of God for the future of this planet. He was saying that every time we see a rainbow, we should be reminded that God has promised never to destroy the world again with a flood. Just as circumcision was a sign of the old covenant, baptism is a sign of the new covenant. In a very real way, what circumcision was in the Old Testament, baptism is for the New Testament. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage that we were not even hardly scraping the surface with. But the first thing to note from Colossians 2, 9 through 12, and I think the most important thing to note, is that Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. Our salvation is not wrapped up in the practice of baptism itself. It is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. He was able and is able forevermore to secure 
our salvation. Praise God for that. But Paul, he continues, and Paul makes a connection between the New Testament practice of baptism and the Old Testament practice of circumcision. Are you excited? We get to talk about circumcision in church. And it wasn't a different kind of circumcision. It's the one that you're thinking. God instituted the practice of circumcision with Abraham as a sign of the covenant that he made with Abraham. And so all future generations of Jewish people practiced circumcision of males. It was a sign that they had entered into a covenant relationship with the Lord. So Old Testament circumcision, it pointed to the covenant relationship between God and the Jewish people. Similarly, New Testament baptism points symbolically to the covenant relationship that we have entered into with Jesus Christ, at least for those who have trusted in Jesus for salvation. Now, as a Christian, you are not required to be circumcised as a male. You're not required to be circumcised for a spiritual reason. Paul talks about that extensively. Most of the time, you know, uh, circumcision is still practiced today, uh, but it's done so for medical reasons, and, and in most cases, not necessarily a, a spiritual reason. Instead of a physical circumcision, as a believer in Jesus, we have received a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of the sin nature. Now, that's graphic, isn't it? That is graphic, and I think Paul is, I think he's being graphic on purpose, being graphic, it really puts in our minds a strong image. And I think it's supposed to be a strong image because the work that Jesus does in the heart of a genuine believer is severe. It is graphic. It is abrupt. So hang with me. So in baptism, when you go under the water, Paul, Paul says that it symbolizes that you have joined Christ in his death. You've been buried with Christ. Some rich symbolism going on there. Just as Christ was dead on the cross, so you and your old self are dead. Your sin nature has been cut away like a spiritual circumcision. It is dead. And in baptism, assuming you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, we get to bring you up out of the water. In baptism, when you come up out of the water, it symbolizes that you have been joined to Christ in his resurrection. You are born again. You have new life. Not just new life for eternity, but new life now on this earth as well. The power of the resurrected Christ lives in us as believers. That We are filled with the Spirit of God that will enable us to live and walk in victory. There is, however, a danger here that I want to point out. I think it's important. In the book of Colossians, Paul uh, challenges the Judaizers of his day that had been placing too much confidence in their circumcision in other religious practices. Their religious practices, including circumcision, had become a stumbling block to them. They began trusting in their spiritual rituals rather than trusting in the God that gave the ritual to begin with. And so Paul corrected them 
by pointing back to Abraham, noting that Abraham was justified by his faith in God and circumcision was a sign of that covenant. And today we can become just as guilty if we look to our baptism or if we look to any other spiritual practice as a proof or as a source of our salvation. Baptism does not save. Jesus saves. In a similar way that circumcision didn't make the Jewish people in relationship with God. It was the fact that they trusted in God and he entered into a relationship with him. Okay, I know it's been information overloads, over, not overlord, overload, so let's get, uh, let's get a little bit practical. So I brought a baptism tank with me today. I'm going to get in it. It's, there's no water in it. It'd be funny if there was. Now, this is a baptism tank. Now, in my study, I ran across something absolutely fascinating about baptism I wanted to share with you. There's some, uh, there's some uh, New Testament historians, some early, uh, early century historians that have discovered some evidence that suggests that some of the early Christians would design their baptistries, like uh, not just the tank, but the, the whole area around the, the Baptist, uh, baptism area, the baptistry, they would design them to look like a tomb. Isn't that dark? That's like weird, super weird. But they would do so to drive home the point that you are dying to your sin. Isn't that awesome? I think that's awesome. So I'm gonna sit down in the tank. Now, I got to thinking, and this is, this is some good thoughts right here. I got to thinking, we've been using these horse troughs at Element for a long time. Ever since we've been in this building, we've been using these horse troughs. Now, at one point, we painted them. And then uh, you see all these names on this baptism tank. Uh, every time someone gets baptized at Element, uh, we allow them to sign the tank with their name. It's pretty fun. So we have three of these tanks, and almost all of them are full. Isn't that awesome? Let's celebrate that. Isn't that cool? I think it's awesome. So I got to thinking, you know, we're running out of space for names, which is a good problem to have. But at some point, we're going to need to design a different baptism tank. So I got to thinking, we should, we should design the next tank to look like a coffin. <laughs> and then it would really drive home this point that you're dying to your sin, right? Maybe that's not, maybe that's not a very good idea. Uh, it probably wouldn't help us convince kids to get baptized, would it? <laughs> or many adults, we'd be terrified to get in the coffin baptism tank. So when you get baptized, we ask you a simple yet incredibly profound question. We ask you, do you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? Now, assuming the answer is yes, we dunk you under the water like this. Oh, now, I, I told Pastor Jeff I was going to lay down in the tank and he suggested, he thinks it, he thought it'd be hilarious if I preached the entire message from here. <laughs> and, then, and then Pastor Jared thought it'd be funny if I brought some puppets in here and started <laughs> doing a puppet show. But in any case, I'm more mature than both of them, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but listen, when, when you go under the water, Paul says it symbolizes you have, you've been joined to Christ in his death. And your old self is dead. And when you are raised up out of the water, see if I can do a, a, a sit up here. When you are raised up out of the water, 
it symbolizes that you have been joined to Christ in his resurrection. And, and so the old Andy is dead, and the new Andy is alive with Christ. That I've, I, I'm filled with the Spirit of God because, not because I've been baptized, but Paul says, because I've trusted in Jesus for salvation. But it symbolizes that I've died to sin, and I've been joined to Christ in his resurrection. Isn't that awesome? It's incredible. Now, some of you are thinking, man, I think he's on to something with this whole baptism coffin idea. I think I, It'd be a good idea. Probably not a very good idea. (laughs) Listen, when you get baptized, when you get baptized, it's so much more than just getting a bath in church. Now, I used to think that baptism was just symbolic, but it's so much more than that. Does baptism save you? No, Jesus is the only one that can save you, but the Spirit of God does something special in us at baptism. It is a profound ritual with a profound meaning that speaks of a profound commitment to follow Jesus. So what is baptism? Well, baptism is for Christians. Baptism symbolizes cleansing, and baptism symbolizes a a covenant that I've entered into to follow Jesus. I'm in relationship with Jesus as my Lord. The next question becomes, why should you get baptized? And that's a question that Pastor Jeff is gonna answer in part two of this series next week. Now, some of you, some of you here today, you, you know that you need to make a commitment to follow Jesus. You know that you need to make that commitment. Like, maybe you've never uh, made that commitment before, or, or maybe you've prayed a prayer, but it was never really sincere. But in either case, like, if you haven't made a commitment to trust in Jesus for salvation, to turn from sin, and to enter into this relationship with Jesus and follow him, if you haven't made that commitment, you need to start there. That's more important than baptism. You, you need to start there. And so if you'd like to pray with someone or talk with someone about what that, what that decision means, uh, I, we have a prayer team at the back of the auditorium after service. They'd love to pray with you. Uh, I'd be happy to talk with you in the lobby. Our staff would be happy to talk with you as well. We'd, we'd be privileged to do that today. There's also some of you that have been dragging your feet with baptism. And, and like you, you have made a commitment to follow Jesus You're saved, you're following him, but you've never taken that important next step of baptism. Now, let me just say this. I don't believe that, you know, faith and repentance in Jesus plus baptism equals salvation. I don't believe that. I believe that the the moment you trust in Jesus genuinely for salvation, that you are saved. However, we often in In uh, evangelical Christianity, we often act as if baptism is optional. And all I'm going to say on that is, in all my study of the scriptures, it never paints the picture of baptism as if it is an optional thing. In every case, it deepens the meaning of baptism. So you gotta ask yourself, if you're dragging your feet, why? 
okay? And, and I would say, if you're, if you're following Christ, you need to stop dragging your feet, and you should get baptized. So we have baptism coming up on March 1st. There's a card on your chair with information about how to sign up, and, uh, and you should do that. If you have any questions, uh, contact me, contact the church office. We'd love to answer those questions for you. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a moment to close in prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you so much for the Lord, for the promise that we see in baptism, that, that you save us upon our faith in Jesus, that you fill us with your spirit, and that you, you create in us a new heart. Thank you, Lord. Lord, for, for those that have been baptized, I, I pray that they would today, and, and as we uh, have baptism coming up here in a few weeks, I pray that they would be reminded of their own baptism. Lord, would you remind them of the work that you've done in their heart. Lord, for those that have not yet been baptized, that they've trusted in you for salvation and they're ready to take that next step, Lord, I pray that you'd give them the courage to take that next step. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your name. Amen.